while Kieran's walking out, I asked him like yesterday, I said, what should I start with today? And he said, I should, uh, should not start with a pizza joke because that would be kind of cheesy. Um, so I'm not gonna start with a pizza joke. Yeah, it's only gonna get better from here, so. Um, I asked Pastor Steve, who by the way, Pastor Steve is uh, either hiking in Delaware Water Gap or floating down the river, one of the two. Um, so thank you for releasing him. Um, and I'm grateful he released me too to, to minister today, but uh, we appreciate Pastor Steve and, and I know he appreciates some time to get away with his family, so thank you. Um, when I asked him about what I should share and, and start with, he said I should talk about the, uh, the shortest man in the Bible, Nehi, Maya. Um, and that's all the dad jokes I have today. I'm running out. So here we go. What's that? <laughs> Build dad the shoe height. That's a good one. Thank you, Michael. Thank you. All right. Now, before you all leave, let me get started. Um, so last Sunday, I talked about some folks. Zerubbabel was one of them. Ezra, you may have remembered. Um, Jeshua, the priest. Those names are ringing a bell. Great. If not, I'll explain a little bit. But I was talking about a period of time when Israel was being punished um, for their, their, really their desire to walk away from the Lord. Uh, and it's a dark time. Um, and in that time, uh, we remember the promise of God that God didn't forget about. Um, Israelites at all didn't forget about the Jewish people. And he, he promised 70 years of um, separation. But at the end of that 70 years, right when he promised, they came back. And that was that... If you like numbers like me, um, 536 BC, the Jewish exiles returned to Jerusalem. Um, they started building the temple. If you remember from last Sunday, Zerubbabel and Joshua, the contractors, started uh, rebuilding the temple. Uh, so 516 BC, so 20 years later, the temple was finally completed. And um, 455 BC, so now my math is going to get tricky, but... Um, uh, several generations later, about 60 years later, if I'm, if I'm right, no, it's more than that. So, no, 60 years, yeah. Ezra came with another group of exiles, and uh, 446 BC, nine years after that, Nehemiah enters the picture. Now, you may say, well, if you're, if you're uh, a detective like I am, you're like, well, how was Ezra and Nehemiah written over the timetable? So we, we think that Ezra and Nehemiah co-wrote some portions of the, those books that are named after. Nehemiah speaks in the first person in the book of Nehemiah. Uh, but Ezra probably wrote the book of Ezra to kind of remember and to, to make a record of what had happened in the past. So uh, either way, by the time we get to Nehemiah, Ezra is an older man. He's been through it. He's seen it all and he's seen God's faithfulness. But I just wanted to give you a little bit of timetable so you know where the picture this is happening. Um, but I want to start right in with Nehemiah at the very beginning. Um, so uh, if you want to turn with, your, with me to your, in your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 1. So this is uh, verse 1. The words of Nehemiah, the son of Hekeliah. Now it happened in the month of Chislev in the 20th year when I was in Susa, the capital. He was in Babylon. That Hanani, one of my brothers, and some men from Judah came, and I asked them concerning the Jews who had escaped and had survived the captivity about Jerusalem. Nehemiah, uh, verse 3, said, They said to him, said to me, The remnant there in the province who survived the captivity are in great distress and reproach, and the wall of Jerusalem is broken down and its gates are burned with fire. When I heard these words, I sat down and wept and mourned for days, and I was fasting and praying before the God of heaven. I said, I beseech you, O Lord of God of heaven, the great and awesome King, 
who preserves the covenant and loving kindness for those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear now be attentive and your eyes open to hear the prayer of your servant, which I am praying before you now, day and night, on behalf of the sons of Israel, your servants, confessing the sins of the sons of Israel, which we have sinned against you. I and my father's house have sinned. All right, so we get a picture of Nehemiah. Now, Nehemiah um, had heard some, um, and I should have wrote these down because it was a bunch of years, but it was uh, 60 years after uh, the, the wall or the temple and the altar were built. And he hears a picture of what the incompleteness of the city, that the walls of Jerusalem were broken down still, and this gates were burned with fire. And he wept. So Nehemiah received a heavenly download of a need. Um, and here we have a picture of Nehemiah who, um, who sees and, and hears about the struggle and the, the awfulness of the city, and he responds um, with, what does he do first? He responds with prayer, with fasting, and he asks God for help. And man, I can't think of a better way to start whenever you come across a need than to start with those two things of praying, weeping, of fasting, of humbling yourself and saying, God, I need your help. And what I want to talk today about Nehemiah is what he did next. So Nehemiah not only had compassion for the people of Israel, he saw their predicament, right? He had a heavenly perspective. He had a heavenly picture of compassion and love. Jesus responds like that for us in our place um, of weakness, and he responds with compassion. But Nehemiah, just like Jesus, was moved with compassion. Here's what he did, starting in Nehemiah chapter 2. So by the way, from Nehemiah 1 to Nehemiah chapter 2, four months had passed. So Nehemiah had spent four months praying, fasting, and contemplating his next steps. And it came about in the month of Nisan, in the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, that wine was before him, and I took up the wine and gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. So the king said to me, Why is your face sad, though you are not sick? This is nothing, nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. I said to the king, Let the king live forever. Why should my face not be sad when the city, the place of my father's tombs, lies desolate and its gates have been consumed by fire? Then the king said to me, What would you request? So I prayed to the God of heaven. I said to the king, If it please the king, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, that I may rebuild it. Now, Nehemiah was a brave guy because if you remember, this is in the time period of Esther. Remember what Esther was fearing if she would go before the king when she wasn't invited? These kings were not like uh, um, known for compassion. If you went and, and entered into uh, their courts without, a, without permission, you, you might get impaled on a stake. Doesn't sound very fun. You might get sent into prison. Not a very fun time, but Nehemiah had a special place in the king's heart because he was, was cupbearer. Cupbearer to the king was one of the most trusted places to be at. You were right next to the king. You were not only bearing his waiter of, of the wine, but you were also taste-testing it too. You were trusted because many kings were poisoned by wine, poisoned at that time. So you to, to trust somebody with your life was a pretty serious endeavor. But I'm reminded that we have a king who assists us. So Nehemiah sought the king for assistance. We have the king of kings for assistance. If you're thinking of a time, maybe even right now, where you're saying, there is a time of deep trouble in my heart, we are cupbearers to the king. We have the king's eye, we have the king's ear, we have access to the king of kings and lord of lords. Um, 
So Nehemiah, continuing with his story, he said, if it pleases the king, verse five, and if your servant has found favor before you, send me to Judah, to the city of my father's tombs, so that I may be rebuilt it. So Nehemiah was called to do something. What was he called to do? He's called to rebuild the walls. What is our calling? Think about that as we continue this story. So I jump into verse 17. Then I, this is Nehemiah talking to some people around Jerusalem. He'd gone back to the city at this point. And I said to them, you see the bad situation we are in. That Jerusalem is desolate and its gates are burned by fire. Come, let us rebuild the wall of Jerusalem so it would no longer be, a, be in reproach. I told them how the hand of my God had been favorable to me and also about the king's words which he has spoken to me. Then they said, let us arise and build. So they put their hands to good work. So uh, picture this a little bit. Now, Nehemiah had gone out. Uh, he, was a, he was a wise man. He went out at night uh, when he was sure that no one else would see with just a small group of people. And he looked around. It was, it was a, a mission. You could say a spy mission just to scope out the land. And probably uh, if he's a good administrator, he's probably going to see just how big of a project did I sign up for here. And, um, but picture this with me, if you could. Um, the walls were desolate. They were probably, because it was a limestone type construction, when they had burned the city down, the, the limestone probably chemically had broken apart. It was black with soot and ashes. It was a mess of a city. Nehemiah is looking around. He sees quite a huge project. But here he is already encouraging his brothers and sisters and saying about how his, he had favor with the king, and now it was time to do something about it. So they put their hands to good work. Now, most times when we use the picture of walls, we're singing songs about breaking down walls, and we're, about, we're singing songs about breaking divisions, and we're declaring, you know, that the walls of separation will be were broken down. And you might say, how are you going to get unity and walls in the same message? Because last Sunday I talked about unity and purpose. This Sunday there's a similar theme, but what are walls and gates about? And really, walls and gates are, are simply are to let in what is good, and to keep out what is bad. They're boundaries, and they're a healthy thing to have. You want cities that have good walls so you can keep in the good stuff that you can protect your kids and your families, and you can keep out the bad stuff, right? So um, Nehemiah immediately goes and starts. We need to go. Now, Kate's not here to hear me talk about her, but last Sunday, I love what Kate said about two-thirds of, of God's name is go, right? Nehemiah took that to heart. He went. Nehemiah not only had compassion for the state of Jerusalem's walls and the city that he had been, uh, was home to him, but he went, he went, he, he, yeah, my English is, is uh, bad, but he was moved with compassion and literally not just in his heart, but physically moved with compassion to go. Nehemiah was acting like Jesus, where Jesus was moved with compassion and then Jesus healed people. So Nehemiah was not just moved and sat there, but he moved and went. So Nehemiah 3, jumping along, uh, right along, talks about, um, lists out all the names of the people. JT, can you post that, uh, that map of, of the walls up for me? Now, it's kind of hard to read. I want to try this laser beam because it's pretty cool. Is that the, I won't point in my eye. Maybe. There it is. So, um, go back. There you go. Thank you, buddy. Um, so Nehemiah 3, if you're following along, you can read it in your Bibles, but it just goes through a list of each person, and it starts right up here at the top where my laser is. It goes around step by step to each of the team leaders. It goes around. If you notice that each and every single person here is mentioned in chapter three, 
I'm not going to read chapter 3 together just for the sake of time, but if you notice something that each person mentioned, every person had a part in rebuilding the wall. There wasn't a single person not included in building the wall. And this morning, there are walls that are down, and we all have a part in rebuilding the walls. Just like those who Nehemiah led had a part, we have a part. If we don't step in, if these guys over here at the valley gate didn't step in, or the king's upper palace uh, didn't step in, there'd be a gap in the wall, and gaps in the wall are not good. So we have a part in rebuilding the wall. We can't afford to be spectators when it comes to this. So I want to jump into Nehemiah 4, and this is where I want to spend some time today, Nehemiah 4, because as soon as you see something happen where God commands Nehemiah to build, or God commands us to do something big, has anybody ever heard from God, heard from the Lord, you should do something, ever, anybody ever heard, heard that before, and taken steps of obedience, anybody immediately had an attack of the enemy when that happens? I have. You can raise your hand if you want to. Michael, yeah, Michael's raising his hand over there for sure. It's something convenient, isn't it? Just, uh, I, show, I, I shared this last Sunday, but Hannah and I, you know, we, the, the instant that we decided we want to do a life group focus on marriages, guess what? Our marriage was attacked immediately. Uh, we had arguments that we had never had before, and it was convenient timing because the devil doesn't like when we start taking back territory. And it was the same with Nehemiah. Nehemiah chapter 4 starts, and I'll just summarize this so we can kind of get an overall picture of what uh, chapter 4 is. Opposition comes, and Jesus promises us, right, in this world you will have trouble. Like, thanks Jesus, not the promise I was looking for, but he does promise us we're going to have trouble in this world. And to summarize Nehemiah 4, I want to kind of give you an overall view and then we'll zoom in, is that the enemy, in this case, uh, really sowed uh, trouble in three different ways. Ridicule or belittling, discouragement, number two, and fear. So I want to talk, uh, start with uh, the beginning of the chapter, starting at verse 1, about way number one, which is ridicule. Nehemiah 4, verse 1, if you're reading with me. Now it came about that with Sambalat heard that we were rebuilding the wall, he became furious and very angry and mocked the Jews. He spoke in the presence of his brothers and the wealthy men of Samaria and said, what are these feeble Jews doing? Are they going to restore for themselves? Can they offer sacrifices? Can they finish in a day? Can they revive the stones from the dusty rubble, even the burned ones? Now Tobiah the Ammonite was near him and he said, even what they are building, if a fox should jump on it, he would break their stone wall down. Now Sambalat, he was a leader of the uh, northern tribes. Uh, he was a Samaritan. I remember if you remember from last Sunday, I shared about the northern kingdom. They were north of Jerusalem, and they were kind of doing their own thing. They were mixing it up with uh, some of what God was, capital G, but also mixed it up with gods of their own creation too. And Sambalat was part of a group of kind of saying, we're doing things our own way. Um, in the previous generation, some of Sambalat's ancestors had tried to uh, connect with Zerubbabel, and they had tried to mix it up and tried to say, come, come do things our way. Come mix up your religion, following the true God with some of our religion, the, the false stuff. And they had mixed it up, and uh, it didn't work then. But here, there's, here was another attempt for the enemy to come in. And so here's some of the questions that, that Sambalat asked. What are these Jews doing? Can they restore the temple for themselves? Questioning their, how big they were, questioning if they had the strength to do it. Can they offer sacrifices? And maybe another way of saying that, is what you're doing even legitimate? Are you willing to sacrifice what you have to make this happen? Can they finish it in a day? 
Do you have perseverance to finish this up, to see it through to the end? Can they revive stones? Or another way of saying that, can you take, what, which had, what, can you take that which has been cursed and left for dead and bring it back to life? Now all these, maybe you're already resonating with the attacks of the enemy for you, yourself when you hear the belittling nature of an enemy attack, when he says, you're too small for this. You're not cut out for it. You don't have the strength. All these things. If you're resonating with that today, you have company with Nehemiah and the crowd that he led, the people that he led. Um, and Tobiah even said, they can't even build it strong enough for a fox. Now in the Bible, the fox is always a picture of the little things. In Song of Solomon, it talked about foxes getting in the way of a relationship. And foxes are always little tiny things that when taken together, they're overwhelming. And so maybe you're thinking, God, you called me to something. God, you called me to something bigger than myself. But even the little things, I feel like there's just a whole bunch of little things getting in the way of what you called me to do. Anybody relate to that? The little things that are overwhelming me? Perhaps, all right, that's good. Um, so have you ever, um, now here's, here's what I, I got as we were starting to look at this together. I was like, all right, God, um, we can look at Sambalat and we can cast him as the enemy of the Jews. We can cast him as the bad guy. Tobiah, his, his, uh, his accomplice, his, his um, kind of like the minion with him. Or we can say, and as I was reading and contemplating this, God reminded me that sometimes we can be the Sambalats and Tobias in other people's lives. I'm like, oh, this is not good. But have you ever thought about this? Have you ever belittled someone's attempts, maybe in just in your mind or your heart, or your own attempts at responding for a call of repentance, changing their lives? Like, have you ever seen somebody and they're like, oh man, he's repented like the fifth time now this month. Um, is he really going to change? Is he, is he for real? Or have you said, you know, that's such a small token, this is a small step, belittling somebody's attempt to change their life. Have you ever spoken this over yourself or maybe over somebody else? I'm just being realistic about the situation here. It's impossible. Have you ever been overwhelmed by a bunch of little things, those foxes I, were talk I was talking about? You're like, it's not like one big thing, but it's just so many little things. You know, I was on the way to minister to somebody, my car had a flat tire, my kids had an argument in the back seat, all that stuff. Maybe you're just overwhelmed by a bunch of little things. And the thing is with that, with the attack of the enemy, we've got to stop it. And that sounds simple, but it's true. We have to stop what we're doing. So we can't just say, there's a phrase I've heard, if, if you can't say nothing good, don't say nothing at all. We know that phrase, but can I just tweak that a little bit today? We are good at saying nothing at all, but I want to be better at saying not just something, but actually speaking words of prophecy. Now let me declare that for a second. Let me back up a little bit. These are some bonus verses. They're not going to show up on the screen, but you can write them down if you want to. Matthew 19, 26. Jesus was looking at the disciples and looking at the people, and he said, with man, this is impossible, but with God, all things are possible. Yeah, Psalm 77, 14 says, you are the God who performs miracles. You display your power among the people. And so what if our prayers weren't just prayers of hope? Now, let me clarify that. I hope that he's healed, or I hope that their marriage is restored, but instead declaring God's truth. So it's elevating above positive speaking when we speak God's truth. And let me explain that. Declaring, I declare their marriage is whole. I declare that he is healed. I declare the word of God where it says nothing is impossible with our God. So 
Even those who don't believe in God believe in the power of positive thinking and speaking. I once saw a YouTube video, and you can watch all kinds of crazy things on YouTube, right? But it talked about how athletes were having tremendous success just visualizing them getting the basket or getting the ball in the basket or visualizing themselves winning the race. Now, it never really worked for me when I was visualizing myself winning the race because I looked like a runner, but not, not very fast. So it didn't really work for me, but it's true. Some athletes have tremendous success with visualizing themselves, doing something great, and they do it. A salesperson, I've seen some sales books and some seminars where they say, visualize yourself closing the sale and you'll close the sale. So even the secular world, even non-Christians understand the power of positive thinking. But what if the sum of all the neurons floating around in our brain or the, all the positive thinking we can muster up is but a tiny fraction of how great God's word is and how powerful God's word is when we speak prophetically. So again, I want to say that there's positive thinking over here and then there's the prophetic over here. And so when we pr prophesy over somebody, you know, for sure, prophecy sometimes involves speaking into the future of somebody. By, by that, I mean speaking words of things that have not yet happened as far as events. But it also means that we're speaking into things that have not yet happened in our hearts, or things we're not yet seeing with our eyes. Um, God wants us to prophesy not only over ourselves, but over, over one another. And guess what? We're all called to do that. We're all called to prophesy and counteract the Sambalats, counteract the Tobias in our life. 1 Corinthians 2, 9 to 12 says this. I'm going to read it in the message. No one's ever seen or heard anything like this. Never so much as imagined anything quite like it. What God has arranged for those who love him. But you've seen and heard it because God by his spirit has brought it all out into the open before you. The spirit not content to flit around on the surface, dives deep into the depths of God and brings out what God has planned all along. Whoever knows what you're thinking and planning except you yourself, the same with God, except that he not only knows what he's thinking, but he lets us in on it. God offers a full report on the gifts of life and salvation that he is giving us. And if you keep reading down to second, or 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16, it says a powerful truth that I will, will let rest with you for a second, that we have the mind of Christ. So just think about that for a second. Positive thinking is all that we can muster up in our minds. But if we have the mind of Christ now, our thinking is more than just positive. It's moving into the prophetic, speaking words of God into people. Now, we've not only received a new spirit. Most of us, when we accept Jesus into our heart, have no problem saying, yeah, I've received a new spirit. But what about the fact that we've received a new mind too? Just think about that for a second. I think sometimes we find it easier to say, God, you saved my spirit, but our mind isn't caught up to the truth yet of the reality that our mind and the way we think, the way we speak has also changed too. So let that rest and let's continue for a little bit. Now, Nehemiah 4, verse 4 and 5 speaks of Nehemiah's honesty. Hear, O God, how we are despised. Return their reproach on their own heads and give them up for plunder in the land of captivity. Do not forgive their iniquity and let not their sin be blotted out before you, for they have demoralized the builders. So Nehemiah, he's doing what David had done before. Maybe he was even reading Psalms when he was thinking about this. He's being honest with God about the extent of how Sambalat's words and the, the words of those minions were really bugging him. And he's saying, God, 
this is really making me upset. And he's being honest before God. And like Pastor Steve has done such a good job at in the, pe- in the previous months, as he has told us, we've got to be honest with God before, uh, we've got to be honest before God, laying our hearts, laying out all the doubts in our hearts and minds before God and saying, God, you know it all. You see it all. But Nehemiah doesn't stop there in his honesty. He keeps going. He moves from just thought and just prayer into action. Nehemiah 4, 6 says this, So we built the wall, and the whole wall was joined together to half its height, for the people had a mind to work. So the phrase mind to work, if you look at it in the Hebrew, it means the heart or courage to see something finished. How many of us have something that's not finished yet in our lives? I do. And God's saying right now, we have the mind we have the mind of Christ, but we have the mind and courage to see something finished in our lives. So seven, verse 7 and verse 8 comes back again. Now when Sambalat, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashdodites heard that the repair of the walls of Jerusalem went on and the breaches began to be closed, they were very angry. All then conspired together to come and fight against Jerusalem and to cause a disturbance against it. Verse 9 we prayed to our God, and because of them, we set up a guard against them day and night. So, reminder again, when Nehemiah first heard about the state of Jerusalem way back in chapter 1, what did he do? He stopped and he prayed about it. I like your shirt, by the way. It says pray on there, too. It's good. Uh, it's a good reminder. We always start with prayer. And Nehemiah did the same thing. There was a conspiracy. How many of you guys like researching conspiracies? They're kind of fun to get down the rabbit hole of conspiracy. Sometimes they're kind of scary too, but this conspiracy was real life. It was happening. The, the Sambalats, the Tobiah, Tobiah, the Arabs, the Ammonites, and the Ashtoites, they all saw what was happening in Jerusalem. They were like, whoa, what's going on over here? You know, just a couple days ago, there was nothing. Now all of a sudden, a team of people move in, headed by this guy in Nehemiah, and we see the wall starting to take place. It was now half its height. Um, and they were starting to conspire for an attack against the people of Jerusalem. Um, and Nehemiah's first response to that was to pray. Nehemiah 4 verse 10 goes into the next way the enemy attacks us. Thus in Judah it was said, right after they prayed, right after they prayed, this is what happened. The strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish and we ourselves are unable to rebuild the wall. So who is the enemy in this verse? You looked at it with me. The strength of the burden bearers is failing, yet there is much rubbish, and we ourselves unable to rebuild the wall. I don't see him talking about the Arabs or the Sambalats or Tobiah or the Ammonites there. The enemy right there is the builders themselves, isn't it? Discouragement can lead us to become unwitting partners with our enemy's agenda. Have you ever been dis- discouraged before? I have. Yeah, it stinks, right? You're in a, in a miserable state, can't even get out of bed. You're thinking, I'm just going to give up. There's no hope. And we partner with our enemy and his agenda. Now, I'm not saying that we should take on the responsibility of feeling discouraged as if it's the, the weight of the world is on our shoulders alone. I'll get to that in a little bit. So don't hear me when I say that. But we can partner with our enemy's agenda with discouragement. Um, and we can even discourage other people too. So think about this. Don't be a partner with discouragement. Uh, Don't be a partner in your own heart, but also in others' hearts too. And I want to jump back into verse 11, which is way number three, fear. Before I start sharing this, I want to tell you a story about fear. When I was about 11, no, actually it was probably younger than that, uh, nine or 10, 
I began to, I was always a ferocious reader and so I was reading about uh, Africa and learning about Africa and I learned about this, uh, this fly in Africa called the tsetse fly. Have you guys ever heard of the tsetse fly before? My dad's nodding his head because he remembered this story. Um, and the tsetse fly was this fly that lives in Africa and uh, occasionally if you, the tsetse fly can carry a parasite that if you get bit by the parasite, bad things happen to you, go into a coma, it's a pretty serious deal. Now, I've never been to Africa yet. I will be going to Africa, by the way, but I haven't yet been. And back when I was seven or eight or nine, I had never been in Africa. I wasn't even close to Africa. But when I had read that story about the tsetse fly, the fear, not of God, a fear descended into my heart. And it, it, was, it was causing me to lose sleep. Um, it was causing me to think about and fix it on this tsetse fly that had never been in Pennsylvania before. Uh, and it was ridiculous. I remember actually the only thing that broke me out of it was uh, our life group at the time we met. You remember, remember the Lachlan's dad? Uh, they, and uh, a gentleman with the compassion of the Lord prayed for me to be set free from the fear. But the fear, of the, the fear that the enemy brings is an easy sell. How many of you guys have ever gone into a situation and you're like, I'm really fearful right now and I have no idea why? Anybody ever, that ever happened to anybody else but me? Okay, good, thank you. I'm glad I'm not alone in this because it happens, right? Fear is easy to, it it multiplies in our hearts, it breeds. Um, Nehemiah 4 verse 11, they were experiencing fear too. It says, our enemies said, they will not know or see until we come among them, kill them and put a stop to their work. That was fear, speaking fear when you're saying, I can't even see the enemy and they're gonna come after me. Verse 12, then our neighbors, they joined in the party. When the Jews who lived near them came and told us 10 times, they will come up against us from every place where you may turn. Wait, now go back for a second. Verse 12, they told us 10 times. Yeah, go to the next verse real quick, bud. They told us 10 times, they will come up from every place. 10 different times, they're coming up against you. They're coming up against you, coming up against you, coming up against you. Coming up against you, coming up against you, coming up against you. This sounds ridiculous. Coming up against you. They come up against you. They come up against you. Ten different times. Is that overwhelming? Do we ever have fears like that that are overwhelming? Yeah, that the TC fly story for me, I can laugh about it now because it was ridiculous then. Um, but it was overwhelming that it, it repeated them on mind like an echo chamber. And these fears are ridiculous. They're irrational, they're overwhelming. Michael, I love your story from last Sunday when you say when the enemy comes like a flood, right? Because sometimes the enemy does come like a flood. It's overwhelming us. Overwhelm actually physically, it literally means to be underwater, to be overwhelmed. Um, all these fears though are not of God. Can we just state that as a fact? Can we prophesy even for a second into our hearts that they're not of God? These fears are not of God. Now what did Nehemiah do? Verse 13 then I stationed men in the lowest parts of the space behind the wall, the exposed places, and I stationed the people and families with their swords, spears, and bows. So we come alongside those who are hurting and those who are in need of help and defend them from the enemy so that they can have their part in rebuilding the wall. We don't do the work for them, right? We, do, we defend them so they can have the joy of rebuilding with us. Did he catch that for a second? I think there's a truth there when it comes to ministry. Sometimes we, as children of God, want to rescue people out of situations, but 
we should be wise to follow how Nehemiah did it because he didn't just send builders to shore up the low parts or the areas that were, low, were slow building, the areas that were weakened, needed extra help. No, he sent defenders to stand behind them and support the builders so they could finish the job too. Have you ever built something with your own hands? You get a certain pride in that. And I think that's the same thing Nehemiah desired to see people build something with their own hands. So here's a question for us as we are rebuilding walls in our region, in our nation, where do you see low places? When you look around, do you see a low place that you can come in and defend and be behind somebody and support them? Think about that for a second. Now verse 14 says this, when I saw their fear, I rose up and spoke to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people. This is Nehemiah speaking. Do not be afraid of them. Remember the Lord who is great and awesome and fight for your brothers, your sons, your daughters, your wives, and your houses. So Nehemiah was telling, was redirecting them. So there's a phrase that, that I've heard, we become what we behold. Anybody ever heard of that phrase before, right? We do. So do we behold fear or do we behold God? So how do we behold? Think about this. If you're struggling with fear, if you're struggling with the overwhelming nature of, of a, an event that's happened or even just an attitude that's invaded your heart, what do you do? Well, the first thing is to spend time beholding God and not your fear. And that sounds easier said than done because it takes time to redirect our hearts and our minds. I've heard it said that our minds are kind of like uh, always creating trails. They're trailblazing, right? And the first time a fear goes through your mind or a thought, any kind of thought goes through your mind, it's kind of like bushwhacking, where it's a single lane and it's kind of hard to get through. But the second time you think through the thought, the path gets a little wider. The third time you think through the thought, now it becomes, you know, a stone gravel covered path. The fourth time, it's now a bicycle path and lane. The fifth time it becomes a paved road. The sixth time or seventh time or eighth time it becomes a highway until you keep repeating that thought in your heart and your mind and it becomes a super highway where you can just have this fear either invade and go straight through to your mind or you can have the presence of Jesus become like a super highway in your heart. And it it, it's an intentional practice of spending time in his presence. And last Sunday I talked about remembering. Nehemiah told them, remember the Lord who is great and awesome. We need to do the same. Last Sunday I shared about remembering our testimonies, remembering uh, the words of the Lord in the past so we can apply them to, the, to our present. But also, I like what Nehemiah says here. He says, your sons and your daughters, fight for them, your wives and your houses. We've got to remember that the fight that we're in is so much bigger than just ourselves. It's, it's so much more important than just ourselves. And this applies both ways. Not only does it apply to the fight is bigger, but think about a struggle that you're having in your own heart and you say, no, it's, it's only my personal struggle. It's not affecting anybody else. And that's a lie too, because the struggles that we have that we think are only affecting ourselves are also bigger and they can affect others. And so there's a two part to that, that we fight for something bigger than ourselves and we contend for something bigger than ourselves. And we need to take care of these things because they're bigger than ourselves. And when our enemies, this is verse 15 in chapter four, when our enemies heard that it was known to us and that the God had frustrated their plan. Then all of us returned to the wall, each one to his work. So they kept building no matter what. Do you see a, a theme in this? The enemy came, enemy decided to, to send all the attacks that he knows, the fear, 
um, the belittling, the ridicule, the distraction of discouragement, all these things. And each time, Nehemiah and the people he was overseeing had a choice. And what did they choose? They chose to keep building. We have the same choice too. We can choose to keep building. Nehemiah 4, starting at verse 16, says this, From that day on, half of my servants carried on the work, while half of them held the spears, the shields, the bows, and the breastplates, and the captains were behind the whole house of Judah. Verse 17, Those who were rebuilding the wall and those who carried the burdens took their load with one hand doing the work and the other hand holding the weapon. As for the builders, each one wore his sword girded at his side as he built, while the trumpeter stood near me. I said to the nobles, the officials, and the rest of the people, the work is great and extensive, and we are separated on the wall from what, far from one another. At whatever place you hear the sound of the trumpet, rally to us there. Our God will fight for us. So we carried on the work with half of them holding spears from dawn until the stars appeared. That's a long day. At that time, I also said to the people, let each man with his servants spend the night within Jerusalem so that they may be guard for us by night and a laborer by day. So neither I nor my brothers, my servants, nor the men of the guard who followed me, none of us removed our clothes, each took his weapon even to the water. Now that was a bunch of verses, but you see a theme and a pattern. Some were building, some were working, but all were united in one purpose to see the walls rebuilt. Now let's rewind again. What was the first thing that Nehemiah did when he saw the situation of the walls, when he heard he was getting attacked by the enemy? What did he do? He prayed. But then what did he do? Did he stop with just prayer? Did he rest? No, he kept going, he kept building. And you know, I've heard a, heard a phrase um, you know, circulated mostly on social media, but probably also in the news of the phrase that the world attacks Christians by, thoughts and prayers. You ever heard of that phrase, men as an attack on Christians? Well, you're just giving thoughts and prayers. You ever heard that, anybody ever heard that phrase before as an attack on Christians? All right, well, um, it's meant to be an attack on Christians saying, you, you're, you're thinking of me, you're sending your thoughts, you may be praying for me, you're sending your prayers, but you're not actually doing anything. And every now and then, the world can have a critique of ourselves that has a bit of truth to it. Now, typically, before I get myself in a hole, the thoughts and prayers and the actions the world wants are not always what God wants. So I'm not saying that we should spur on to the actions that the world wants, but there is truth to the statement of thoughts of just thoughts and prayers. If Nehemiah had stopped at just thinking about the wall and crying about the wall and even praying about the wall, if he had stopped at just that, there would still be no wall in Jerusalem. So just thoughts and prayers are never God's call. There's something more. Look at look back if if you will with me. I highlight this in scriptures, Nehemiah seven, four seventeen, with one hand doing the work and the other hand holding the weapon. 19, the work is great and extensive. It's big, it's huge, it's better, it's crazier and more wild and wide open than we could ever imagine. 21, from dawn until stars appeared, they worked. 22, so they may be on guard for us by night and laborer by day. 23, each took his weapon even to the water. You see here that Nehemiah balanced both prayer and action. He balanced both fighting and building. He balanced both trust in God with relentless work, dusk until dawn, and from dawn until when the stars came out. So I want to get practical for a second. Maybe you're already triggered by the phrase thoughts and prayers, and you're already, you know, concerned about 
the, the tone of what I'm sharing, but I want to encourage you with this and exhort you a little bit that God, if he's given you a word of encouragement for the church, don't keep silent about it. If God reminds you of somebody's need, absolutely pray for him, but go give him a call. Go help him out, too. That's so we can be like a Nehemiah and not just stop with prayer, not just stop with thought, but, but have those things invade and bleed into and move us into compassion. In Zechariah 4.10, I shared this last Sunday, Zerubbabel, Zechariah was talking to Zerubbabel, giving the word of the Lord to Zerubbabel, when they were just rebuilding the foundation of the temple. And it had started and it was really tiny. And even when the foundation was built, the foundation itself, the temple was so much smaller than David's temple that Solomon had built. It was small. And sometimes we have this lie, this fallacy, this, this untruth that says, I can't, do, I can't do all what God has called me to do or I can't fulfill the whole entire need, so I'm going to do nothing. I'm not going to do anything about it. And Zechariah 4.10 reminds us that we shouldn't despise the small beginnings, and that includes our actions too. So rock by rock, picture this, the wall that uh, Nehemiah built was built one rock at a time. And so we have an opportunity, if we can't, you know, bring a power loader in there and scoop up a whole entire zone, we can do one rock. Think about what you can do around you, the territory God has covered you in, to do one rock, to move one rock and um, to be moved in, with compassion. Even if it's a small move, it's still a move. Now, Nehemiah 5, I'm going to kind of summarize the chapter for time's sake. Everybody said amen. Um, but Nehemiah 5 gives us a really awesome picture of what happens when we start moving rock by rock. Because it talks and describes about a society change. So Nehemiah, he was a foreman of foremans. He was leading a team. We don't even know how many folks he was leading. At least 40,000, maybe even more people that Nehemiah was leading. So he was an incredible foreman to not only um, you know, war against the fears, but also just a practically he was good at doing his job at rebuilding the wall. But Nehemiah 5 talks about what happens when you build walls. It says that he noticed there was a problem with uh, some folks uh, holding and charging too much interest on their brothers and sisters. And so he cut it off. He said, no more are we going to cut, no more are we going to take advantage of people who are poor. No more are we going to take advantage of our wealth and hold it against somebody else. But they stopped holding those debts against their brothers and sisters. They stopped charging unfair uh, interest rates. And they even describes later on where Nehemiah said, I refuse to accept any other, any, um, added gifts. I'm just going to do it on my own. I'm not going to get distracted by the gifts and the other, other things of the world. So as Nehemiah rock by rock and as his team rebuilt the walls, they refused to get distracted by the other things. And they actually transform and change their society. I mean, we have an opportunity today to transform our society rock by rock. It's time for the church to not just respond, but to be part of rebuilding walls again. All right. Um, and I see this here too, that the people carrying the bricks, Nehemiah talks about the burden bearers, were also, they're separate from the builders. They were equally as important in seeing society change. So maybe you're looking at yourself and you're saying, I don't think I'm rebuilding the wall right now, but I'm, I can support somebody who is. I can stand behind them. I can stand and guard those low places. Think about that. We have an opportunity to transform society, transform our nation, our region, our town, by rock by rock. So 
back to Nehemiah chapter 6. Now I love this. Uh, Nehemiah 6 uh, verse 1. Now when it was reported to Sambalat, Tobiah, the Geshen, the Arabs, so the same cast of characters, their enemies, and to the rest of our enemies that I had rebuilt the wall, and that no breach remained in it, although at that time I had not yet set up the doors and the gates. So the wall's nearly built, it's nearly finished. Then Sambalat and Geshem sent a message to me saying, Come, let us meet together at Chephirim in the plain of Ono. Say, everybody say, Oh no. Oh no. But they were planning to harm me. So I sent messengers to them saying, I am doing a great work and I, get, I cannot come down. Why should the work stop while I leave it and come down to you? They sent messages to me four times in this manner, and I answered them in the same way. Have you ever thought about the enemy distracting you as an attack? And now, we live in a really busy society. I just, I saw, you know, a phrase of a busy, there was like a blog I saw today, a busy parent's blog. And it seems like busyness is like a, a theme. Maybe it's just an American thing. I don't know. It's probably a, a worldwide thing because we're all human. But to me, I see that Nehemiah's enemies were plotting distraction. They were trying to pull him away from the work. And don't we have that problem today, the enemy of distraction? How easy is it to get sucked into like the, uh, I heard somebody call it doom scrolling on Facebook and Instagram. Like you're just like, your thumb is like perusing miles and miles of content that keeps scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling and scrolling. Or what about the distractions of even good things? You know, like for me, sometimes God's like, you're exercising too much. You're too concerned about, you know, trying to build your body. You concern yourself with the spirit too. There can be good things that distract us. And like Nehemiah was, um, was distracted four times, the enemy repeats. He's repetitive. The enemy repeats and distracts us constantly. Um, so this is resonating with you. Maybe you're also receiving a distraction as an attack of the enemy from your purpose and your call. And not just distraction, but going after a reputation because verse 5 says this, Sambalat sent his servant to me in the same manner a fifth time with an open letter in his hand. In his hand was an unsealed letter. And the unsealed letter was a letter of attack. Now unsealed was means it has no mark of authority, had no mark of any king or of royalty, so it had no authority in his life. And sometimes the attacks of the enemy, they attack us for a reputation, but they have no authority. They're unsealed, open letters. Have you ever felt attacked before on your reputation? Maybe it's in a workplace situation where your reputation is attacked. But here's the response is that Nehemiah literally built his reputation, right? You could look at the wall that Nehemiah was a part of building, and you could say, wow, he's got a reputation for building things. And shouldn't we all be like that, be like Nehemiah today, who have a reputation for building things, so much so that the enemy even when he tries to send us open letters, they lack authority because they can't attack what's already being built. And um, when we live our lives with high reputation, these attacks don't have any lasting authority. They don't, they don't, they lack authority. Nehemiah 6 verse 10 says this, when I entered the house of Shemaiah, the son of Deliah, Deliah, son of Mehatabel, and I'm butchering these names probably, who was confined at home. He said, let us meet together in the house of God within the temple and let us close the doors of the temple for they are coming to kill you and they are coming to kill you at night. But I said, should a man like me flee and could one such as I go into the temple to save his life, I will not go in. Now, um, Shemaiah wanted Nehemiah to join him 
in his shut-in situation. You notice that? He was confined at home. He was a shut-in. And isn't that just the, the way the enemy works too? Sometimes if he can't distract us, if he can't scare us, if he can't discourage us, what's next, what, does he, what does he do next? He tries to isolate us and disconnect us. Have you ever felt disconnected or isolated from somebody? Maybe even your spouse, maybe even your, your parents or your child? That's the enemy attack too. It's, a, it's, the, it's Shemaiah pulling us away and, and trying to disconnect us. Shut in with me. Disconnect yourself with me. Isolate with me. And the enemy was doing that too to Nehemiah. And Nehemiah said this, Why should a man or woman like me flee? So let me, let me clarify this passage a little bit. Nehemiah was not a priest, all right? Nehemiah's job was not in the temple. He was an administrator. He was a governor. Uh, he, and when this man, Shemaiah, was calling him to be shut in with him, he was not only calling him to be shut in and isolate himself, but he was calling him into a place that Nehemiah wasn't called to be in. And let me clarify this a little bit too further by saying, don't we oftentimes get called or pulled into directions we're not called to be in? Now, number one, it requires us to know our calling, requires us to know who God says we are. But number two, it requires us to not have the temptation of entering into something else, other callings that are not our own. Typically, this means it also looks like a form of business. It could look like that. where We say, well, I'm kind of good at this. I'm kind of good at that. I can do this, 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 and this, and this, and this, and this. And pretty soon we do 17 other things instead of the one calling we're called to do. Anybody ever resonate with that? Or is it just me? Yeah, so we can do good. We can do a lot of good. Yeah, I can, I can pick up this. I can do that. I can serve this neighbor. I can do that. But what is the one call we have in our life? Romans 12.1, sorry, 12.4 says this, For just as we have many members in one body, and all the members do not have the same function, so we who are many are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. You have that mind-blowing picture? Yeah, my mind was blown when I was reading this passage a couple days ago. That's better as a GIF, by the way, if you look that up on, online. It's a really cool meme. But we, are, are, we just have many members of one body, and all the members do not have the same function. Can you say to your neighbor, I'm glad you're not, I'm glad you're not the same as me. You can say that. I'm glad you're not the same as me. We can laugh about that for a second, but it's true. Look at that passage again. For just as we have many members in one body, body and all the members do not have the same function. I'm glad we don't walk around as all bodies of hands. That'd be kind of creepy and weird. Or, or feet, or ears, or anything else. You know, all walking around as livers or something like that. That'd be kind of gross and weird. Uh, and it would not be functional. That's the most important thing. Um, we all, who are many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. So wrap your mind around this for a second or try to with me because I'm still trying to grasp what it all means, but we are connected at a level far deeper than we know and realize. And we, even as we function radically different, we're together as one and unified. Paul talks about it like our bodies for sure because our bodies though they have very many different functions, right? The liver has a different function than the kidney, which has a different function than the hand, different function than our eyes and our brain and our lungs, but they're all part of one body. You can take my lung out of me, but it's still identified as me, as the mark of my DNA. And we have many different functions in the body of Christ. We're not all called to be one thing. 
We're called to be different things and we're called to function together as a body though. And isn't that a beautiful picture? We could function together as a body and have not only um, separate functions, but unity together in the body of Christ. And we can share in the joy of others in the body. So say it again with a smile on your face. I'm glad you're different than me. I'm glad you're different than me. Yeah. <laughs> unity as one means joining together. It means joining together and being willing to be okay with different. Is that, is that all right? Can I, can I just uh, add to that? Sometimes we're like, we get offended when somebody isn't like us. Um, and maybe nobody else but me, or I'll just, I'll speak to myself for a little bit, but we can't do that. We can't be offended that somebody isn't like us and acts like us and thinks like us because we need that. That passage I shared earlier in 1 Corinthians 2, verse 16 says that we have the mind of Christ. Not just you, not just I, but we all together. So look around at this whole group functioning here together as a body. But you can look around for a second. It's okay. We have the mind of Christ. Together we're functioning together. Um, so coming back to the story of Nehemiah, verse 15. So the wall was completed on the 25th of the month. And if you keep in track, that's 52 days. The wall was finished in 52 days. Now, the people of Judah accomplished this because of their unity and their purpose aligned. Remember last Sunday, if you were with me at the very beginning of the sermon, I shared about the Tower of Babel and the, how the people uh, who were building the, the, the tower were, had unity. They had some measure of unity because they built a tower, but their purpose was all wrong. But here was Nehemiah leading a group of people who not only had the unity together, but their purpose was aligned. And so they saw something built. They saw a city built. Now, Nehemiah, he had a tremendous effort in place, but he couldn't do it by himself. He can do it by himself. And I'm glad that we can't uh, build the house of the Lord. We can't build the wall of the city and the territory we're occupying by ourselves. We need each other. Uh, we've got to stop trying to build things by ourselves and stop leaving others to build things on their own. And so here's a few questions for you to consider. What needs finished in your life today? Where are the low places around you? Where do you see gaps in the wall? Where do you see low places that need shored up? Where do you see low places that need help? Can you look around and see others who have unfinished low places? Are you trying to build it all on your own? Are you isolating yourself? Are you trying to do it, uh, taking on too much? Or have you partnered with God and others to see things finished, to see it finished? And though the Jewish people were coming home, it may have been like stepping into a foreign country because you got to remember they had been living in Babylon and over different, had different kings over themselves for, for um, 70 years. And so some people had died in Babylon. Others had been born and raised in Babylon and only known Babylon. So they had maybe even coming back to Jerusalem was like a weird place. It was unfamiliar to them. And we had to ask ourselves, you know, is a feeling of, um, we have to ask ourselves, is it okay to be um, step into some unfamiliar territory to step into what our true calling is. And that means that sometimes, yeah, it's going to feel weird to step into our heavenly calling. It's going to feel weird to step into something. And I'm going to come back to the, the words of prophecy in particular because I feel like in this hour, in this moment, in this season, it's never more evident that we need the gift of prophecy and never more impactful that we step into it. And many of you are saying, well, I, I can't speak into the future. I don't see that. But the word of prophecy is just speaking just is speaking the truth of God into somebody else's life. 
And it's easy, it's so much simpler if we step into that, even if it feels weird to do it. Because if we are stepping into unfamiliar territory, it's just like those people, the Jews who came out of Babylon into new territory, it doesn't look like home. Well, home was the enemy territory. Home was where you were imprisoned because your parents and generations before you had sinned. No, what you're stepping into now is home. So uh, in The Chosen, Jesus has a phrase, get used to different. Can we get used to being a little unfamiliar and step into some new territory here today? Um, now I want to have another mind-blowing circumstance for a second. As you're maybe contemplating that, get used to unfamiliar, get used to different, get used to stepping into new things. We're not just building the walls like Nehemiah, we are the walls. Ephesians 2, 19 to 22 says this, you're no longer strangers and foreigners, but you are now fellow citizens with the saints and are God's household. So you're stepping out. Isn't that the story of the testimony of each of us? We stepped out of the sin nature, the sin past, and we're stepping into new territory. And what we had done before that had previously been a comfort to us, had previously made sense, maybe had previously been all we'd ever known. We're stepping into a new territory and we're no longer strangers. We're no longer foreigners. We're now fellow citizens. So when you've left that life behind, you're not a citizen of hell anymore. You're not a citizen of sin and of darkness anymore. You're not a citizen of heaven. Ephesians 2.20 says, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone. 21 says, in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the Spirit. Last Sunday I asked the question, do you want to be a place where God can dwell? This Sunday I asked the same thing. Do you want to be a place where God can dwell? Do we want to be a place, does Millersburg want to be a place where God can dwell? I'll say yeah. Yeah, all right, good. We've got a couple of people with me. Um, we all have periods of time when we struggle to fit in. Um, I'm not even asked for a raise of hand because I think that's, an, that's a, a truth that we all experience. We've all had seasons. Maybe you're still in that where you say, I don't know where I fit into the, the building, if we're, if we're using the building metaphor. I don't know where my brick fits into the wall that we're building, into the territory we're establishing. But when we read, read Ephesians 2, 19 and 20, I realize that we also need to allow ourselves to be outfitted or fitted in maybe, to be fit into the building that God is doing. Let that resonate with you for a second. To, to stop thinking of yourself as I'm never gonna fit in. Stop thinking of yourself that uh, I'm not gifted in that way, um, that, that I am not smart enough, I'm not uh, talented enough, yeah, I don't, have, don't know the Bible well enough, but to stop, stop it to stop it, right? And to say, God, allow me to be outfitted. Allow me to be fitted in to the building. That, that phrase in Ephesians 2, where it says, being fitted together, Paul's using the metaphor of a brick. And bricks, once they're fitted in, they're really hard to remove. Thank, I'm glad. I have a brick house at home. Most of my walls around the house are brick. It's pretty sturdy. Think about that. There's a security in knowing that we're fit into the brick and the building of uh, the walls that God is building. And man, I'll trade the insecurity of doing things on my own with the security of being in the body of Christ and fitted in. So what is our focus? What is our call? Uh, Nehemiah 7 verse 4 says this. Now the city was large and it was spacious, but the people in it were few and the houses were not built. 
Can you picture that with me? I looked it up and they said that the wall that Nehemiah had built was about a mile and a half long. Uh, if you do the circumference, and if I was better at math, I would tell you how the, the, the area of that inside, there's something with pi and R2 squared, I think. But it was a big place, big enough that the people that had just built the wall, they were still few when they were within the city. And Nehemiah 7.4, I think, speaks to the calling we have. All right, We've got a territory established in our church, in our households, in our neighborhoods that is large and spacious. But the people in it are few. And the houses are not yet built. And so our calling is this. We have an invitation. Roy, thank you. Many, uh, probably two or three years ago, Roy had a, had a word of invitation. And we have this invitation to invite more people into the city, into the walls that have been built, and to not despise the small beginnings, but be moved with compassion. Jay, do you have that picture of Nehemiah's wall? Can you put that up for a second? This is a picture of the actual wall. I got chills thinking about this now. My friend Don Boyd, um, who I talk about often, he's a good, good friend of mine. He was in Israel for a while. And this is a picture of Nehemiah's wall that they had uncovered, actually, under layers of dirt and actually other walls had been built on top of it. But they, as they dug through the layers, they discovered this. Now, if you look at it for a second with me, the wall is not exactly very pretty. You know, nowadays we have modern brick walls that are much more ordered and much more in the line, much more straight right? That doesn't look very sturdy, but the reality is it accomplishes purpose. Sometimes we have the another fallacy and a lie, and I really want to, I, I want to close with this statement because it's true, that we think because we're not perfect, because we can't build in perfect ways, because even our, our building, the things we put our hands to aren't perfect, that God can't use them. But Nehemiah's wall, that picture should be one that should encourage all of us to step in Take a look for a second at those, those rocks. Now, the girl standing there is, you know, she's standing on a, on a rock that's pretty big. Probably a rock's 100 pounds. Maybe some are larger, maybe some are smaller than that. I'm not sure. Um, but each rock, each rock was fitted in place one by one by one. Took that group of people that Nehemiah led 52 days. But God is calling us to build a wall today. God is calling us to build a wall. And we shouldn't stop because we think we can't get it perfect. We shouldn't stop because we think it's too overwhelming. We shouldn't stop because of the fears and discouragement and the distractions. We've got to set our hearts to it, to have compassion and strength and courage to finish what God has laid out for us to do. And so you may not be able to build an entire wall today, but you can move a stone today and fit it in place. And so I want to end with a, a call to some action. Now, uh, Michael had a great idea earlier. We, I was talking with him earlier this week about my, my message uh, and about Nehemiah. And he, had a, he had a response. It's one of, uh, I think, of several responses we can do. What do we take with a message like this of action? All right. We can say, we can just tuck it into our back pocket. You know, we could pull it up in the podcast a year later and say, that was a nice message. It was encouraging. Maybe I'm going to think about building a, a wall or we can actually do something about it. I know Michael's idea, if I can, is that okay to share it, uh, was to uh, start with a place of prayer. Because Nehemiah started with a place of, place of prayer. And so uh, he was inviting a few of us, and this is just a fly by the seat of our pants. We're going to work it out as it comes. But to, if, you're, if you're feeling a resonant spirit to start something and somewhere with a place of prayer, is to join us and pray with us and intercede for the region in Millersburg. We're going to find a high place in Millersburg somewhere 
And I think we're going to try tomorrow morning, Michael. Is that, that what you had said tomorrow morning? All right, we'll figure this out. So this is new. You have my number. What's that? Thank you. Okay. There's a parking lot that on the Spots Farm property that we can get to from there. So we will send out a message, but there's, here's one action of many, all right, that we're not just responding with a thought and a prayer. We start with prayer for sure, but there's an action. So what are you called to? What are you called to do? How is God moving you with compassion? Let's pray about that together and just take a time to allow God to respond and speak to our hearts. Father, we thank you for giving us an example. You say in Ephesians, Jesus, that you're the cornerstone. You've set in place, and the cornerstone is a, is, a, is a rock that was set to provide alignment and provide direction for the rest of the body. So Jesus, thank you for aligning us and providing direction for how to go. But Jesus, now we are, we're asking to be fit in. Even help us right now for those, maybe you're in this place right now, you're saying, I don't even know what my call is, but I want to know. Jesus, would you speak the calling? Would you call out in each of us the strengths, the giftings you've given us to step into what we're called to do? Jesus, would you give us the ability to speak words of prophecy, to speak not just positive thoughts, not just positive uh, words, but speak the words of prophecy, of speaking the words of impossibility. God, more than just hope, we ask that you would give us the words of declaration, give us the words of strength, Give us the words of truth that come from speaking your prophetic word. And God, we thank you for giving us words of action today. Not just words, but action of going and doing. So Jesus, thank you for empowering us too and uplifting us and helping to set us free from any fear that we've accumulated along the path. We bless your name, Jesus. We thank you, God, for your good. Amen. Amen. Well, it's fitting that my message on Labor Day weekend was about laboring in the Lord. And that wasn't, maybe it was intentional. Um, yeah. Yeah, go for it. Come on up here. Okay. Okay. I don't like speaking in front of crowds or anything, but I want people to know that if you have healing, you should share it. So back in May, I hurt my shoulder really bad. And I ignored it. And um, then right before we went on vacation, I whacked it at work and threw the bone out, finally went to the chiropractor and he pushed it back in place and it was feeling better. Then I started hurting with my shoulder again and it started hurting mentally, affecting me, that I started getting depressed, went to the doctor, he wanted me to get on medication for depression, and he wanted me to see counseling. Luckily, he didn't send me to the hospital because it just kept wearing. I'm going to physical therapy three times a week. So I had prayers before, and it didn't help. And I thought, okay, I'm not really reading my Bible. I'm not praying. God's waking me up, trying to do maybe something I don't know wake me up, this is a season. Friday went to the auction and I wanted to leave because there was somebody there that had a testimony about how he does construction despite everything that happened to him, got hurt very young and it 
wasn't just the first story, then there was another and another, another. God works in weird ways. My depression lift. And I thought, if this guy can deal with this, I can deal with my shoulder. Come in here today, I'm sitting, putting warmth on it, massaging it, start to feel tightness in my chest. I thought, something's gonna heal. Like, I feel like I'm breathing funny. Like, it's just the pain. It's wearing. I'm obviously breathing funny. Last night, I jerked it just sleeping. I screamed, must have screamed for two, three minutes straight. It hurt so bad. But the rest of the day, it was fine. And it went away. Today, I woke up, it started hurting. Before I even got the Advil packet, <laughs> even opened, because um, Amber prayed for me, my shoulder started feeling underneath, like, um, like you put Icy Hot on it, like that tingling. When I went to Dr. Dobbs and had it x-rayed because of diabetes and thyroid, I have a little arthritis in it, and it's joint deterioration. So Icy Hot will not help. It started feeling tingling up through, and then it went up here, and this knot started and started like boom, boom. And as soon as it started that, that tingling started just like, and it stopped. And then sure enough, I went, and it was like, and I didn't scream, because <laughs> that is a fear of mine, because I've, I've even did that in Subway for like three minutes straight, screaming. So I do scream when, it, when I do that. So I did this, and it was like, <gasps> but I did not scream. Put my hand on it and said, God, I have the faith of a mustard seed. Healing, healing, healing. My shoulder, it's not completely healed, but it's up there. Not completely healed. It hurt. It hurts just mild there. I couldn't get it here when it first started. I couldn't get it here. And I'm telling you, that pain wears on you. But if people have healing, you know, testimony. Because like for the first time I got prayed for, it didn't work. But God sometimes puts you through that to faith in your strength. And with me lifting my arm and not screaming, my faith is strengthened. And whenever something hurts, you pray, get in the Bible, because he, will, he can heal your mind and he can heal your body. You do not have to go through it. Amen to God. Amen. Thank you. Anybody else have a testimony they want to share right now? Anybody? Sure. All right, let's get do. Come on. Um, this is a, not a testimony, but um, it's a declaration okay. to the church <laughs> through a dream I had a while ago, a few months ago. Um, I won't go into detail about it, but it talks about the strength of our church body um, in the midst of storms and the enemy distracting and discouraging. Um, but in the dream, um, we were the, there were like 200 people uh, on a cruise ship. And uh, we were all um, just working together, doing activities together, um, and just uh, unified as one body with Christ. But um, as we were 
on the boat, there were things, natural weather disasters that were coming um, against us multiple times. But the Lord, um, you know, he gave us ideas of how we could strengthen um, and, uh, and unify during that time that we were able to withstand that, that storm. And one of the things that was happening uh, was there was a tsunami that we saw coming towards us. And it was large enough to take out a whole entire boat of you know, a couple hundred people. And we were, we were fearful, but we decided to all stand in front of the boat at the edge to hold hands and to start rocking the boat together. <laughs> So, um, so we're all moving back and forth, and as we're, we're doing that, we're building strength. And, uh, and before long, um, our boat was actually starting, to, uh, it started to build its own tsunami that started rising up in front of us. And uh, as the other tsunami, you know, the enemy's discouragement and his attack is coming against us, um, our tsunami was just able to block most of it coming over us except for just there were um just the peak was able to get over and splash over some of uh some of like a few people in the front so anyways but it did not overwhelm us it did not overtake us and we just went back to you know uh doing fun things together and just building together and i just thought that was really encouraging as uh, i feel like our congregation is um coming against with multiple things um, that has been shared through our Facebook group and just so many things. And I just feel like that's an attack of the enemy to discourage us, but we're strong. He's, you know, we're, God is with us and, uh, and, you know, the enemy's not going to overtake us. So I just wanted to share that. And this was a dream that was back a few months ago. And as I'm um, looking at all this, this, these things that are happening, it, I remembered it, and I just wanted to share. So anyways, thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Any, anyone else got testimony? I'll come down to you. Last night, I was in bed last night, and my knees started hurting, right? So I came to church this morning, and thank for the people praying for me. Now my leg, and I have no more pain in my leg today. God hears me. All right. <clears throat> anyone, anyone else? All right, this is awesome. I feel like this God's already doing something. He is. So praise God. Um, stay tuned for more details about our prayer uh, gathering tomorrow morning. This is an impromptu move uh, on the Spirit of God, and we're going to pray. So I will get an email out to you guys for the church. Uh, if you're interested, if you're not part of the mailing list, now's a good time to sign up for it so you're aware of that. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for, for coming today. Thank you for being obedient to what God's calling you to do and to go. In Jesus' name, amen.